Welcome to Mosaic Podcast. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church, Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, it, it's, it's always a real privilege to, to preach anywhere. <laughs> And so uh, to preach uh, here is this, is this, I'm just going to lift this up, is that all right? I'm just going to take a pause. Great. Um, yeah, it's a real privilege to preach here. Um, this, is, this was our home. Uh, Mosaic was our home for uh, about uh, five years uh, when we moved here. Uh, Lisa and I, Lisa, my wife, she's not here this morning. We have four kids, uh, and uh, life is a little bit insane at the minute. So we decided that we'd just tag team it, and she's at home with the two boys, and I brought the two girls here. So they're in rocketeering and something else. I really hope she makes a rocket. That's my, but I don't, I don't know if that actually happens, but it'd be great if it did, wouldn't it? Anyway, let's not go there. Um, so, uh, so my name's Chris. Uh, I lead the Oak, uh, which is a church plant in West Leeds, not just in Farsley. Um, and uh, we are aiming to <laughs> to reach West Leeds and East Bradford. Uh, it's been amazing watching the journey of Mosaic, I guess, over the last uh, five years, watching uh, these three gatherings uh, start and flourish and embed in communities. I guess one of the reasons why we planted the Oak was a desire to see a community uh, local to the west of Leeds. And uh, if any of you live in the west of Leeds, it's six miles away from the city centre, so it, it's a trek. Um, and uh, I know that many of you probably trek into here, and that's great. Uh, we wanted to be a place where our neighbours and our friends could come to, so we started that. And uh, it's been a roller coaster. Uh, if you've ever been part of a church plant or if you're part of Mosaic in the early days, it's a roller coaster, an emotional roller coaster, salvation roller coaster, where you just go, okay, well, no one's come to know Jesus or any significant breakthroughs in like a year now. What's going on? And then suddenly something will happen, and you go, oh, yeah, it, it's not my church, it's Jesus's. And, and you just keep going through these sort of reminders. But it's been a real privilege uh, these last few years to to lead mosaic uh, to lead mosaic to lead the oak <laughs> it's been great to lead mosaic thank you very much i've led it and you guys haven't even known that i've been there no um but my next line is uh, to and also to connect with mosaic i guess we have been like kind of like brothers and sisters uh for the last five years as we planted the oak and uh, obviously lots of our friends are part of this church in all three gatherings but uh, i get the privilege i guess every couple of weeks to work with uh your leaders Uh, with Matt, Dan and Dave, and with the wider team, but also to work with the trustees. The Oak operates underneath your charity. So thank you for the responsibility of holding us underneath you. It's very nice of you. Um, so, um, so it's, it's been a really exciting time. You might have heard our news in the last couple of months. We, have, we are still in the process of trying to purchase a building uh, in the west of Leeds. Uh, it's about a 6,000 square foot, uh, 200-year-old Sunday school chapel. It has naked cherubims on the front of it. There aren't many churches in our family of churches that can say well, they have naked cherubims on the front of their church building, but we do. Uh, we will have anyway. And so we are working that through. And so thank you for praying for us. Uh, but also for holding us in your heart. We really, really appreciate that. Um, I, I don't normally do this because it's, um, it, it's always harder to do it in your home church, but I, I do try and do it personally, but often not from the pulpit. But I, I felt a couple of things this morning that I just wanted to, to ask, and then maybe when we pray a little bit later, you can come and see me if these are you at all. Okay, so this is the bit where you get to see my heart laid bare, and, uh, and I get to be nervous. Uh, I wonder... I, I, I have the feeling that somebody here has got pain in their lower back. Got pain in their lower back. And so if you have pain in your lower back, I would like to pray for you 
um, now, but I'd also like to pray for you in our response time. So this is the bit that's really nervous, because I would like you, if you can, to just raise your hand if you have pain in your lower back. Great. We'll pray for her. Darren, I see your hand. Great. Yeah, can we pray for her in the response time? That would be really great. Um, I'll, I'll pray now. And thankfully, God is uh, everywhere, so he can heal her there as well. But we'll also, if we can do a tag team at the end and bring her back in, that would be great. Um, Father, we, uh, we want to pray for pain to go in Jesus' name. Thank you that you are Lord of the universe. You are Lord of our bodies, and you, uh, you knew us before we were even formed. And so we pray, Lord, that you would redeem and restore uh, bodies in Jesus' name. We pray for uh, th- this woman, Lord Jesus, who's in kids' work, serving so faithfully. Lord, we pray, Heavenly Father, would you heal her? And we pray for Darren, Heavenly Father, bring healing in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, and we'll, we'll find out about that a bit later on. Uh, the second one, and this is where it gets a bit more ropey, uh, and, and this is the, the wondrous joy of, of prophetic ministry, is you just get to say what's on your heart and, uh, and what you feel God's giving you. So I think there's somebody here who has experienced traumatic loss, and you, I, I, I just got a kind of memory or anniversary, this sense of it, it is a regular occurrence where it gets too weighty, too difficult, so, so painful for you. And uh, I'm, I'm aware that that's incredibly emotional, so I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up, but I would love to see you afterwards if that is you. Um, amazingly, in the scriptures, we read time and time again that God comes to, to bring us out of mourning and to bring us into dancing, to bring joy in the midst of incredibly tough situations. Uh, at the Oak, we've walked through our fair share of pain and suffering over the last few years. Um, and uh, and I, I, can be t- I want to just be testament to the fact that just because God wants to bring joy to a situation, it doesn't remove it or remove the memory or remove the joy of that person but can remove the pain of the suffering and the memory that is going on. Does that make sense? So I'd love to pray for you. If you have experienced traumatic loss, uh, you, you may not feel that, you know, oh, this, is the, this, is, this is the tough one, isn't it? You may be kind of benchmarking this against someone else's traumatic loss. If you feel like your loss weighs you so heavy down regularly, I would like to pray for you. There we go. Now I can go with what God's given me before. Great. My prayer today, okay, is for a release of freedom among us. As I've been praying about today, uh, this is a message, I guess, which, is, which God has been birthing in me for the last few months. Um, I, I, I'm praying for freedom today for us. Whether you've followed Jesus for years or whether you've just met him or whether you're just looking in, there's an opportunity this morning for us to come to know Jesus as our defender, as our fortress, as your mighty defender for the first or the umpteenth time. I want this morning, I'm used to having a clicker for my PowerPoint, so I'm like, <gasps> is it going to appear on the screen this morning? I'd like to, to, this morning to bring three things, and that is, yes, three questions. Do we need to defend God? Do we need to defend ourselves? And do we need to defend others? Those are three questions which I'd like us to look at this morning. And, uh, and, and I'm confident that as we look at these, we will get a a bigger sense of who God is, a bigger sense of who we are in God, and a bigger sense of mission and commission to what we're supposed to be doing as a church. Is that all right? Great. Well, let me start by telling you a story this morning. There was a king. There was a king who fancied himself as a bigger king than he actually was. 
Don't get me wrong, he he was quite a big king. He was quite important. Half the known world was under his control. Half the world's population under his authority. But he fancied himself, I guess, more as a god. More as a kind of god-made man. So much so that he made himself a statue made of solid gold that was huge. Marvelously huge. Awesomely huge. Kind of Christ the Redeemer kind of huge. This image, it's appeared behind me, yeah? Yes, it works. You're amazing. This image represented his kingdom, his power, his authority, and he commanded everyone that when they heard the sound of certain instruments, they were to fall down and worship this image, this statue that he had made. Okay, here's where the story becomes really familiar. You see, the king made a decree that anyone who didn't bow down when the music played would be, would be thrown into a, into a fiery furnace. The Christians among you are like, yes, I remembered it. It's great. Would be thrown into a fiery furnace, a place of immense, intense heat. Now, let's just clarify for a moment, because we don't really use the word furnace in much of our lives. But a furnace is a device that that is used for extremely heating, sorry, for extreme heating to melt metal and other things, to superheat materials or to provide a place to intensely heat water for vast heating systems. It is like this immensely hot place. Inside your boiler at home is an incy-wincy little tiny furnace. Okay? But in the story, one that would be big enough to take people would have to be extremely big and extremely hot. Furnaces of this size have temperatures that are way above 1,000 degrees. So if you've been seeing, you know, on the news about what's happening in, I don't know, the Yemen or et cetera, about temperatures in their high 40s, can you imagine temperatures in their thousands and what that would do to the human body? Maybe don't think about what that would do to the human body because that's not going to be nice. So three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, common names used these days, three guys, who, Bill, Bob, and Ben, we could call them that, uh, three guys who had been taken with another friend of theirs, Daniel, from the royal courts of Judah to be culturally cleansed. The story of Daniel is a culturally cleansing story. It's the king of Babylon saying, Judah, Israel, I see who you are. I see your people. So I'll take your royalty into my courts and I'll teach them the ways of my courts so that even your most royal people will think and will behave like my people. I will essentially ethnically cleanse your people and remove them. To have Israel, its culture, taught out of them and trained in this new king, King Nebuchadnezzar. Can you say Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar. It's a great name. Many of you should name your children after it. Um, King, no, maybe not. King Nebuchadnezzar, to be trained in King Nebuchadnezzar's courts in Babylon. Now, these guys have proved to be amazing. They are incredible dream interpreters and very wise, and the king continues to promote them. Anyway. When the, when the music sounds, guess what? They don't bow down. They don't bow down. Why? They don't bow down because they worship the God of Judah, the God of Israel, the Lord God. So the other wise men tell the king, guess what, O imperialness? They won't do what you say. They won't bow down. Now, these guys have been shown up before because in an earlier chapter, the king went to them and said, can you help me with a dream? And they went, there, no one can help you with that dream. And so he went to Daniel, and Daniel came in and gave him the interpretation. So they're a bit peeved. They're a bit annoyed that he showed them up. 
So in this chapter, they're watching his mates, and they're going, his mates won't do what, what, what we can get rid of them, the fiery furnace. He, he'll th- this is a good way of us getting Daniel. We'll start with his mates, we'll get rid of his mates, and then we'll get Daniel. And so they go to him, guess what, oh imperialists, they, don't, they won't do what you say. The king is in a rage, an absolute rage, and he demands them to come. And he says this, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods to worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a, into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? So do you think they bowed down? No, they didn't. Verse 16, this is in Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Can you imagine How annoyed that would make the king of half the world. That would not be a good matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Full stop, end of paragraph. Then comes the next bit. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I.e., whether or not our God saves us, furnace it is. Rage, huge rage. Heat the furnace seven times its usual heat. Okay, it's already in the thousands. Heat the furnace seven times. Bind them. Throw them in. You get in the story. Throw them in. The furnace was so hot that the men who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, before they even got to the hole where they were going to drop them in, were killed. It was that hot. Have you ever been to a bonfire where kind of you, you start it and it kind of gets going and then you kind of have to step back? There's a bonfire near us at, at the uh, Farsi Football Club where everybody's kind of watching really close. And then as, as sort of about an hour later, everyone's way back here because the bonfire is so huge, the heat is too intense and so you can't stand near it. Okay, that's a couple of hundred degrees. You imagine a couple of thousand degrees, the intensity. And yet these people would have had, they're bound by following the king. So they have to take them and in the process of dropping them in, they die. So more people are going to die. Now, it was a common form of execution in Babylonian culture to throw people into the furnace. Bizarrely, it's common. And so the king would have been used to seeing people being thrown in and used to seeing the furnace afterwards. So the next bit catches him really off guard. Did did we not cast three men bound into the fire, he said? I see four men, one, two, three, four, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. Imagine it slightly perplexed. And, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors, i.e. all of the fancy people that advise the king, gathered together, slightly annoyed that they weren't dead, and saw that the fire had not had any power over their bodies, over the bodies of those men. 
the hair on their heads was not singed. That's pretty incredible. Not even their arm hairs weren't singed. Their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego (laughs) shall be torn from limb to limb. (laughs) He's not forgetting his old ways. And their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then... The king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. If you're looking for promotion at work, here you go. Can I pray? And then, uh, and then I'm, I'm really going to get into this. Father, thank you for your wonderful presence. Thank you that in this story we see you saving, bringing grace, bringing goodness to your people, protecting. But more than that, Lord, we see their devotion to you because of what you've done to them in the, in the past, how you've looked after them in the past, how you've shaped them and, and cared for them and looked after them. We thank you, Father, that we come to you this morning in the midst of our furnaces, Lord, in the midst of our situations, able to trust you because of who you have been and who you are right now. And so we ask, Heavenly Father, would you reveal more of Jesus to us this morning? Would you lead us in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen? 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 There's no Pentecostalism here. Amen. Our situations are probably not as serious. Probably not as serious. Not as well set up against us. But nonetheless, the call for integrity in the midst of a changing landscape, a difficult work situation, a complex home life, a legal battle, whatever it is, there is still a call for integrity. And that's right at the heart of this story is they're, they're, they have integrity over who they believe. We believe that God is God and so we can't shift on that. So there's a call to integrity. The desire to defend ourselves or God is incredibly strong in the normal, everyday situations of our lives. Our integrity, our honesty hinges on our defense of our character and his. It does. How we work with people, how we communicate with people hinges on on our defense. Do we believe that they think enough of us, that they think that we can do this? Do they think that what I've just done is because I was good or bad? Or or do I have to somehow warrant what I'm doing? When someone calls into question our honesty, our speech, our behavior, when we buy something and then we qualify it because it was rather expensive and we feel like Christians shouldn't buy expensive things, so we try and qualify it to all the Christians around us. We try try and qualify and, and defend what we're doing. We defend ourselves and we defend God. Or we stand in defiance of others and defiance of God. And so we say, we don't need to defend, I don't need to defend anybody. And so we just kind of push it all off. We, we stand in one of those two camps often. Both ways fail to recognize God's majesty and our identity. And in the story, we have three things going on that help us show us our identity, who we are in the process. And as I said before, defend God, defend ourselves, defend others. So the first point is defend God. In the story, they do not need to defend God. Now, you'd think that they do because this king has just erected this huge, great statue. So you'd think that they would have to defend God, but they don't. They don't defend God. 
what does it mean to defend someone? This is a, not a rhetorical question. This is a genuine question. What does it mean to defend someone? To protect them? To stand up for them? To speak for them? Great. Help them when they're being attacked. So to make safe from attack, to keep safe, to represent, to stand up for. To, to defend somebody is to kind of almost stand in front of them, isn't it? You know, if, uh, can I use you as an example for a sec? So if you come here, Adrian, can you come up as well? Now, you can attack him if you like. But, it, <laughs> but if I'm standing in front of him, you can't because I'm defending him. Yeah? What makes, you can sit down again. What makes us think that we can defend God? What makes us think that I am so big and so, I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm so strong, I could defend the Lord God Almighty. I, I can defend him. And we don't need to defend God. And in the story, they don't, it doesn't even come across in their mind that they would need to stand up for God. Because whether or not they are killed, God is still God. He is still wonderfully God. Do we need to make God safe from someone or keep him safe from attack? Do we need to represent him as a defense counsel in a court law? In a, in a court of law? Does he need our character to uphold his? Does he need our strength to uphold his strength? Can he not stand alone? Can he just be God? He is God in nations where they don't know him. He is God when there is nothing. Pre-creation, was he not God? Because we weren't there to kind of uphold him. He is and always has been God. He is in no need of your defense or my defense. He is in no need. We do not need to defend God to somehow stand up for him. And if any of you have tried to communicate something of the gospel, we often lean on defense. We often try to defend God's character. So somebody accuses us, well, well if, if, if God was a God of love, why would there be suffering? And we, try, and we go at it at an angle of trying to defend God, trying to defend his character. He does not need defending He is wonderfully big and huge and fully able to defend himself. And he defends himself in the story by defending his people. And the end of the story is that the king then goes, oh my goodness, your God is God, isn't he? At no point in the story did they have to defend him because God is fully able to defend himself in every situation. God is the ruler of time. In both chapters 2 and 3 of Daniel, we hit a scenario where Nebuchadnezzar the king responds with rage and immediacy. He does stuff straight, I mean, he just likes doing stuff straight away. And in both situations, God's people respond with patience. Such a response. And I, it's a provocation to me as I've been reading through Daniel, is that we, we often respond with haste, with speed, with urgency. And, and the people of God, often throughout the scriptures, in trusting God can just stop for a minute and pause and take some time. It's infuriating, but it's also telling. Their patience is found in their decision not to defend God, but to allow him to defend himself. And then our second point in the minute will be for him also to then defend them, us. To let their father be their father. To let them be the children and to respect and honor that relationship Children don't defend fathers. You know, there's that whole story at school where, well, my dad's bigger than your dad. But the reality is, is it's the fathers who defend their children. It's mothers who defend their children. It's not the other way around. And God, our Father, defends his children. We don't need to defend him. God is fully able to do 
or not do as he pleases when he wants to. Nebuchadnezzar is no God, but God is. Let me read you a few things from the scriptures. Job 38 says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Matthew, and looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Ephesians, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or imagine, according to the power that works within us. We'll get to that bit in a, sec- in a, in a second. But he is fully able to be God. You do not need to defend God, to make yourself a mini-God, that the God of the universe requires or needs. There is a huge difference between standing up for God and standing in God. Between standing up for God and standing in God. Standing up for God implies his need of our might and our strength, our argument and our abilities. Standing in him implies his full ability to stand up for himself and in fact to be the Lord over all for him to be so strong and mighty as our defender. If we stand in God, we find everything that we are. If we stand aside from God, we just get to look at who God is, but we get the full weight of everything coming against us because we're trying to defend him. And the whole of evil is all set up against trying to knock God's people and not God. So if we try and stand outside of God and try and defend him, we just get everything thrown against us. Yet when we stand in God, yeah, we get all the stuff, but it's found in God. It gets met in God. Even if he does not, in our understanding or sight of the situation, appear to stand up for himself, I am still safe in his defense. In the story, it just doesn't appear that God has defended himself. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are walking up the little path up to the furnace going, I was really hoping that God would have saved us by now. I would have really, oh my goodness, they just died, and now I'm going into the thing. And, and at the point where the other people die, you think the little twi- like thing in their brain would have gone, I'm not really feeling that What Are you feeling warm? I'm not feeling that. Ice-cut. I mean, it's a hot day, but it's not that hot. Oh my goodness, oh, now we're in the furnace. I wonder what went on in the furnace. I mean, that would have been an in- incredible conversation of being found suddenly in the presence of, 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 of an angel, or the spirit of God, who, who quite knows, but somehow in the presence of someone who was, with, oh, who was upholding them, holding them, defending them from the flames, literally the flames around them. would have been incredible. So many times in Daniel, who God is informs who I am. Because I don't need to defend him and am found in him. I don't need to defend myself. This tells me that I'm a child of God. One defended by God. Even if I try and throw everything I can at God, he is fully able to defend himself, in fact, to defend me. So if you've hurled abuse at him, it's fine. God is like, that's fine. You can hurl abuse at I am fully able to defend myself. If you have a friend who hurls abuse at God regularly and it really makes you uncomfortable, it's okay to make you uncomfortable, but you don't need to defend God because God is fully able to defend himself. If my situation is so difficult... All I can do is scream at him. He is able to defend me. If my situation is so elative, all I can do is ignore him. He is able. If everyone around me hurls abuse at him, he is able to defend himself. If everyone around me perishes and I walk away from him, it's too painful. He is still able. And if I come back, warts and all, difficulties and pains and all, 
he is able to defend. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew a bigger story. They were embedded in a bigger story, rested in a bigger promise than simply trusting in the here and now. See, for them, they rested in a promise from God through the prophet Isaiah. Now, Isaiah was prophesying around 100 years before Daniel. So they would have been resting on some of the prophecies from, from Isaiah and Jeremiah. Let me read you a little bit of Isaiah that would have been fresh in their minds. Isaiah 43, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you. Imagine this as they're walking up the path towards the furnace. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. Oh, look, when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. They were part of a bigger story. They got it. He will defend me. He is my Savior. And they began to accuse him in Luke, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. Ah, it's almost the same story. Jesus standing up and saying, I will not bow down to the king. Jesus too finds himself in the defense of God and trusting in the promises of God from Isaiah. Luke 23 says, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I can't defend myself anymore. And I didn't need to defend you. I commit myself to your spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. Jesus stood in this bigger story, understanding that God does not need defending and that he finds himself in God. I wonder what you came here with this morning. I wonder what baggage you're carrying, what history you have, what beliefs you stand on. Let me tell you this morning that you do not need to defend God or in no way can you stand up against him. He is far bigger than you can grasp or imagine. And the whole foundation for us finding him as our defender, is first recognizing that he does not need defending because he is God. He is God. But our second point this morning is that we don't need to defend ourselves. They do not need to defend themselves. They didn't. Jesus didn't. There is no, I was just, or, oh, please, can I just have one more chance? Or if I, 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 I didn't hear you at the right time, I'll just get down on my knees and, and, and bow down to, the, to this statue. There's none of that. There's no defense. We have no need to answer you in this matter. Whether we live or die, he is God and he is our defender. Now, I would suggest that we live in a defense culture. We live in a culture that constantly tries to defend itself, how we use our time, how we spend our money. We hire defense solicitors. We are constantly standing up and saying, these are my rights, not your rights. We are, we're all claiming for PPI. We're all trying to find some way of saying, saying I need defending, and I, and I will do it. I will fill in the form. I will get this. You know, it gets annoying, doesn't it? God, I can't believe these PPI companies would take 20% of my money. That's just, and we try and defend ourselves, and we get behind it. We pursue every penny owed to us. It's rightfully mine. I caught myself the other week defending myself to somebody over my purchase of trainers. I'm not wearing them this morning, so you don't have to look at them. Over my purchase of trainers. They were bright red. And for some reason in my mind, I just felt that every time I saw somebody, hi, hi, Bobby, it's really love to see you. I've got some new red trainers, but it was okay because I bought them because they were on offer. Where did that come from? <laughs> like, like, it's very bizarre, but we do it all the time. Like, and, and as I've started to think about it, I realize how often I do it. 
how many situations I stand up for myself and I, I defend myself, my, my actions, why I've done something, who I am, who my family is. Oh, it's okay, my kids are noisy. That's because they love Jesus and they're actually worshipping. We, we make excuses, we try and defend, etc., etc. It's great. Why not just be the kids who are just making a noise because they're kids? And that's okay. But I try and defend, we try and defend all the time to each other. It's about innocence and it's about guilt. In the garden, Adam blamed Eve. He defended himself against her accusations. Now the big thing about it is there was never blame or defense before that moment. When God walks into the garden, he doesn't go, who did it? Who bit the apple? Who was it? He walks in the garden, he's like, where are you? There's no, there's no defense, there's no blame, there's no accusation. It didn't come from God. It came from Adam. It, it, it came from mankind. The first response having denied and said that God wasn't good enough for my salvation, the first response is to blame, to defend, to accuse. There was never any blame or defense before that. We blame, we defend, and we hurl abuse because we secretly believe that we stand apart from God rather than in him, that we are bigger and stronger than anyone else, including God, because we fear that we may that he may reject us, as so many others do, and so we keep our distance. The fear in the garden was that God wouldn't welcome them again, that God wouldn't love them. Oh my goodness, we did something that God said we, we shouldn't do. Uh, we, we, we need to hide. We need to defend ourselves. We, we, we need, uh, this is awful. This fear that God wouldn't love them, that God was not going to be there for them. And God doesn't walk into the garden accusing and throwing stuff. He walks in and goes, where are you? Where are you? If we stand apart from him, we need to defend ourselves. Think about it for a second. You're on a battlefield. Many of us have not experienced that at all. But just try and put yourself into a movie. You're on a battlefield, and surrounding you is enemy fire. And you have to run for cover. You have to defend yourself. But on the field is a huge, indestructible, armored vehicle with its doors open and someone beckoning you in. What do you do? I'm okay, thanks. I'm, I've got this one. I'm okay. I've got it. It's fine. I'll just, I've got my little tiny gun. I'm on it. You get in it. You do. You find some form of defense in the bigger thing. Because this thing looks like it's far bigger and able to get you out of the situation. And so often we stand next to our wonderfully huge and wonderfully big God with our little tiny AK-47 trying to defend everything we possibly can when God's saying... The door's wide open. Come on, I can defend you. It's okay. It's okay. How would you feel once inside? Still need to defend yourself? Still need to use your pity little weapons? Would you still fear being rejected? If you believe in Jesus today, you are found in him, and he is your defender, full stop. And if you don't, then God speaks this over you, as he does those who are found in Jesus. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. In the middle of a battle, you can rejoice because you are inside the biggest and the strongest. He is your defender. So in the middle of life, you can rejoice because you are inside the biggest and the strongest. He is your defender. 
He is bigger than any situation, any person or any weapon thrown against you. And you are in him. That is where you are this morning. Your attention and time need not be put into defending God or into defending yourself, but into defending others. And the commission is to go. It's not to stand and huddle ourselves and hold ourselves. It's to go, but not out of free like, ah, I'm just going out to a battlefield. It's to go inside the defense of God, fully inside him. The challenge they faced in the story was to stand together, to defend each other by standing together. You don't need to defend God because he is God. You don't need to defend yourself because he defends you. But who God is and where you are found allows you to minister to those you serve around you. The end of the story is they get promoted. They end up being like province rulers, able to have authority over who gets food and who gets water, who gets cared for. Oh, hang on a sec. People who love God suddenly in a position to look after other people. They were able to do what they, what they knew God was asking them to do. You remember how we said Isaiah was prophesying to the nation of Judah 100 years before Daniel. And his fr- friends had come from, uh, b- they come from uh, Judah and they were now in Babylon. Well, in Isaiah, a charge is given. A, a commission is given to the people of, of Israel. A charge that cannot be ignored. And they would have had in their minds. At the same time of knowing God knows my name. God is my savior. Even though I walk through this fire, he will be my savior. They also had Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Oh, and then defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. You don't need defending. You don't, because God is your defender. But there are many who do. There are many that do. God does not need defending, but in him, defending the three friends in the story, they are able to go on to defend those who need defending. The whole of Daniel is this this setup by God of bringing his people up through the ranks and into the places of authority that can serve and look after those who are being ravaged by this King Nebuchadnezzar. So unbeknown to King Nebuchadnezzar, who is this awful king at the top, he has three of the most amazingly godly people as his right-hand people, bringing hope and release right the way across the whole of the known world. God's defense of them puts them in a position to defend others. Who needs defending in our society? Who in both our church community and in the community where we live needs defending? Who are the oppressed? Who are the fatherless? Who are the widows? In our society, who, is the, who are the marginalized? Who are the ignored? Who are the pushed down? That's what we give our time and our energy to. Uh, we are connected uh, at the Oak to a, to a church and several, ch- well, I say to a church, to a group of Christians in Krasiluch and in the east of Ukraine. Um, the east of Ukraine has been ravaged by war for the last year or so. And um, they are, they're doing amazing things. But their church building, which um, in Ukraine, you don't need planning permission to build an extension. So they extended a one-bedroom bungalow into a 600-seater auditorium. <laughs> and, uh, and, and their 600-seater, which I wish we could have planning laws like that. It would be great. But their 600-seater auditorium, which they were growing into, there were three, 400 people there on a Sunday. They were doing so many acts of mercy and ministries to the whole town and the, and the whole city. They were, being, they were starting to be known by the regional leaders for their education policy. They were being invited into Kiev and into Crimea to, to bring advice into education policy. Suddenly the war hits. 
And the rebels come, and the church gets dissipated, and they take over the church building as a hostel for the rebels. <sighs> we're in the middle of a church building project, and there's a bit of me that goes, if, there, if our building was taken away right now, I don't know how I'd feel. And you speak to Andre, and he's like, it's okay. We, we're praying how, how we can minister to the rebels. Okay, okay. I, I can't quite get that, but I'll pray for you, and I'll try and figure out my own heart in the process. About three or four months ago, the rebels came to the church community and said, you can have your building back now because, no, because we don't have the money to look after anybody and you're the only people who look after people. You're the only ones who bring sight to the blind. You're the only ones who are actually caring for the homeless and bringing food and, and to those who are without money. Years of just plodding away and doing what God gave them to do, suddenly in the face of a fiery furnace, there's one that looks like the Son of God amongst you the rebels came and they were able to see you guys are doing something quite profound and we want to give your building back now they've since taken it back and i think it's going to be a little to and fro that keeps going on but but every time the church and god is made bigger and bigger the church never once have, have have defended god they haven't been able to defend themselves because they keep getting blown to pieces but god is defending them and enabling them to defend those around them. The church as a group of individual people is ill-equipped to defend. But because the church is in God and he is able to do anything, we can defend those who can't. Let me just lead you to one last piece of scripture from Isaiah. Again, this is the famous bit, the Isaiah 61, which loads of us have read time and time again. But just remember it in the light of this story. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Right at the front is the spirit of God. Who was it inside the furnace? We don't know. The scriptures don't tell us. But who, was, who is it that equips God's people time and time again through the scriptures? It's the Spirit. It's God the Father through his Son sending his Spirit to lead his people to defend others. So right in the midst, it's the Spirit defending God's people, holding back the flames, keeping the heat from them. Right for us this morning, the Spirit is here to defend us to stand in our situations and around us, to hold us, to keep the heat away. But also, the Spirit enabled them to be in a position to then serve and to bring ministry to the poor and to those who need it. We defend in his power through the Spirit. As I said, who was with the three friends? We don't know. But let me suggest that in the midst of them allowing God to defend them, It was the Spirit of God fellowshipping with his people as they faced an outright attack. Just bring your lives back into focus. Bring the situations that you're walking through back into focus. What would it look like if you trusted in some of these scriptures from Isaiah that God knows your name, that God is redeeming you, that God is your savior, that in the midst of this little furnace right now, he is there with you, enabling you to then defend others the spirit protects and enables us to defend so there's three kind of areas that i'd love us to pray into this morning if that's all right as by way of us making a response the first thing is is defending god if you feel like you've constantly had to defend god 
And I just want, I want to free you of that this morning. Because not, not because standing up for God is, is, is in essence bad, declaring who God is, but simply because God is God and he's wonderfully big, he's wonderfully huge, and it is far better use of your time rather than trying to defend God to, to, to defend others and find yourself in him. So there's that. But also combined with that is, is actually if you don't believe in God this morning, if you, are, if you are looking into the church, if you are inquiring, let me, let, let me say this morning that God can be your defender. That whatever situation you are walking through right now, the Spirit of God can come right into at that moment. There wasn't a fourth character walking up the plinth to the furnace. The fourth character was found in a moment. The presence of God can come in a moment. Secondly, the need for us to try and defend ourselves. I would love for us to pray for a sense of freedom this morning that we can find ourselves fully in the defense of God, aware of who he is. So I'd love to pray into that in just a second. And thirdly, for those who feel a real calling to, to, to go, to serve, to bring um, the defense of God to the defenderless, then I want to pray for that too. And I'd like to pray for you as a, as a church community as well, as you defend the oppressed, the weak, those who need looking after. Can we do that? Can we stand together? I'd also like to pray for those two things that I mentioned earlier, pain in the lower back, we, we looked at that already a little bit, and also loss. Can we pray? If you're comfortable, I'd really appreciate it if you would close your eyes. It just helps us to concentrate. If you're not comfortable, that's absolutely fine. And again, if you're comfortable, I'd like to ask you to just put your hands out in front of you. Sometimes it's really helpful to physically use our bodies, and holding our hands out is like asking for a present. It was recently my three-year-old's birthday, and as, as you give him a present, his hands come out. And there's that action of just sometimes saying, I am ready, God. What would you like to speak to me? Father, thank you that you are our God. Thank you that you are wonderfully, wonderfully big and huge and powerful, majestic, glorious, and good. Thank you that you are great beyond all things, that no king or no sovereign power can match to your wonderful, your wonderful, majestic, kingly nature. Lord, we, we worship you this morning, we adore you, and we, we just want to lay, Lord, Lord, down and repent, I guess, of the, of the bits where we find the need to try and stand in front of you, to try and defend you. Lord, thank you that you are God, and you are good, and thank you that because you're God, we find our defense in you. Because you are God, we are found in you. Because you are God, we are released from needing to defend ourselves, from needing to stand up for ourselves, to stand up for you. We, we are released Lord, from needing to prove ourselves anymore because you are wonderfully good and wonderfully whole and wonderfully God. So we've, we ask, Heavenly Father, this morning for Lord, a sense of knowing that we are found in you, Lord, this morning. I pray that, that by your spirit, Lord, you would impart, Lord, uh, uh, Lord, a spirit of adoption into us, Lord, that we would find ourselves as those welcomed as children of God into the family of God because the Father protects his children. And Father, we pray that you would lead us. Lord, would you lead us? Would you divert our time and energies away from ourselves and caring and defending ourselves onto defending and looking after and bringing release to all those who need in Jesus' name. Thank you that you, Lord, care. Thank you that you love, that you so loved the world that you sent your son, that you so loved us that he died for us. And that you so love the rest of the world that you said, I'm sending my people. 
I'm commissioning my people. And it's just not, it's not a new thing tagged on the back of Matthew. It's a gospel thing that has been there through the whole of creation. I have always longed to care for my people. God, I pray that you'd lead us in Jesus' name. Lord, as we worship, Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit in Jesus' name.